0: Take your Bible and open to uh, Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we're thankful for uh, opportunity to worship you and uh, thankful for the, the word that you have left us so that we might see Christ. And I do pray that you would help us to see Christ better, to see Christ afresh and new as we study this wonderful book of Hebrews that points to the superiority of our Savior. Help us to listen, help us to learn, as Walker just said, help us to Take the practical theology, the theoretical theology, and match it up with practical life, and that we might live according to your truth. Honor yourself through our time in your word this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, this is the third time in our study, as we've just started here in the book of Hebrews. It is a book, I think, considered by many uh, to be a difficult book to to read, perhaps, to study, to understand. But as we continue to work our way through the book, we're going to be... Uh, we're going to see, I'm convinced, uh, what a great gift it is. It's really a tremendous uh, treasure. It's a gift of God uh, to his church uh, that should be held on to, cherished, uh, appreciated, uh, especially when God's people find themselves in difficult situations because the book declares to us the glorious preeminence of the person of, of Jesus Christ. And what we all need is a greater vision of the person of Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us needs a greater vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The the Lord Jesus Christ is the person whom the Father rejoices in. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ is the mission of the Holy Spirit, to make Christ known. Uh, Jesus is the topic of the Old Testament. He's the subject of the New Testament. Uh, He's the message present uh, of the Father to his church. And he really, the Lord Jesus Christ, is really the theme of all uh, uh, faithful biblical preaching. The, The glorious, preeminent, superior Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Anything and everyone else is is, uh, pales in comparison to him because he's God come in the flesh. And our great duty and privilege and honor is to exalt him uh, by word, by, by our lives. And now the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to present the identity of who Jesus really is. And he's going to do, I think, in a very straightforward manner so we can help wrap our hearts and minds around the great truth of the reality of this wonderful person. And it's important for us to understand who Jesus Christ is. Remember, all through our study of John, we went over this number of times. Uh, Jesus said, unless you believe that I, what? I am. Unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sin. So getting the person of Jesus Christ correct is very important. A proper biblical understanding of the person of Jesus Christ, you have to possess that, or Jesus says you'll die in your sin. Paul says in Romans 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Right? If you confess with your mouth, if you believe. But but if you don't, you're going to perish. That's the reality. Apart from a genuine belief and confession of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and his victory over sin and death, you cannot be saved. To believe that Jesus is anything more than, than God come in the flesh... You cannot be saved. To believe that Jesus is a created uh, being such as the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and others do. Based on the authority of the word of God, you cannot be saved. You have no hope of eternal life. No hope of heaven for you if you remain in unbelief concerning the proper identity of of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, there's salvation in no one else except this biblical Jesus. There's no other name given under heaven by which men may be saved except him. And we've seen that the writer here to the Hebrew audience, to these Hebrew believers, is trying to affirm that truth, to encourage them in that truth, to have them understand in the midst of their difficulty, they really have made the right decision to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, they're struggling, right? They're struggling currently. They're, they're suffering under various degrees of uh, persecution and likely facing increasing persecution. But the writer is encouraging them to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. The writer wants... The, the the listener to keep their eyes focused on Jesus and to listen. Listen to the God who speaks. We are talking about this earlier this week in the elders meeting. The first words, where right? God spoke. The great reality of the fact that God speaks. He wants us to listen to him. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. God spoke to, in the past to his people uh, and he continues to speak to his people present. And again, the writer is again giving an urgent call to the people of God to listen, to listen to the Word of God. That's a key issue through this book. Not just hear, but to listen. Hebrews 2.1, for this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Uh, Hebrews 3.7, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit today, if you says, uh, Spirit, Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts when they provoked me in the day of the trial in the wilderness. Hebrews thirteen or five, or 3, verse 15, Hebrews 4, verse 7, both say the very same thing. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. Listen. Listen to the word of God. The word of God that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that is piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrows, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews four twelve. The writer is encouraging his audience to listen. Listen to the word of God. Listen to the gift of the scripture that God has given to his people. The alive, penetrating, exposing, judging word of the living God. And the the writer is encouraging these people to listen now. Uh, Hebrews 12 verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Listen to him now. And and again, not only in the context of the book to the people who are receiving the letter, but we too would be wise if we listen to the word of God now, presently. Again, with ears who hear this God who wants to speak, this God who has spoken. In the midst of current situations, in the current midst of current struggles, the reality is God is not silent. God does speak. And he's spoken to his children, and primarily he speaks through his son, which is tangible evidence of the care of God for us, tangible evidence of the love of God for us, his, his concern for us, his never-ending, unfailing Love. Again, God speaks. And he's not silent. And again, especially understanding that reality in the context of the book of Hebrews. As I told you, it's a group of people, genuine believers for the most part. There's some unbelievers mixed in. But, but, but they're, they're genuine believers, but they're suffering. Their world literally is falling apart. And they're having to stop and really examine themselves to evaluate the cost of following Jesus Christ. Many of them have already lost their families, they've lost their friends, they've lost their community, their property, their freedom. Some of them are even facing the very real threat of losing their lives. So this group of people have come to genuine faith in Christ. They've responded to the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the disciples, it says in chapter 2. But they're struggling. Pressure is mounting, pressure is building because persecution is on the rise. I told you last time that... uh, The Jewish Christians were expelled from Rome by the emperor Claudius in 49 AD, and I misspoke when I called him Claudius Suetonius. Suetonius is actually the Roman writer uh, of the early 2nd century who prepared the biographies of the Julian uh, emperors. And he's the one who mentions in his biography of Claudius, there was an incident that arose, a disturbance in Rome in 49 AD, and he reports that there were riots that broke out in the Jewish quarter, more than likely caused by Jewish Christians evangelizing other Jewish individuals, affirming to them that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the one who just suffered death on the cross. He is the Christ. He's the one we've been looking for. And the whole situation deteriorated into riots, and Claudius banishes the leaders responsible for that commotion, and the insults and persecution and hardship and seizure of property follows. And then I told you, more persecution, more serious persecution is going to rise under Nero uh, when he uh, places the blame of the great fire uh, on Christians there in Rome in 64 AD. And again, tremendous hardship follows the believers after that. In fact, the Christian experience from that time forward is torture and floggings and chains and persecution and even martyrdom becomes a normal part of life. Now, I don't want to go over all that again, but the writer is encouraging those who are receiving this letter, who are under those kind of circumstances, those who are scared, those who are being persecuted, those who are being troubled, genuine believers who are facing real difficulty in their life, real trouble in their life, he's encouraging them and encouraging us, Hebrews 12 verse 2, to fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ is to be the sole object of our attention as believers, not our troubles, not our difficulties. Jesus Christ. So if you've got whatever kind of issue you've got in a fallen world, and I'm assuming you've got some, if you're struggling, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on him, not on the situation again, not on the trouble Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. And again, that's one of the reasons why I think the book is so compelling and so vital for us today, because it really addresses the, the reality of our human frailty, the weakness of, our, of us in, in the midst of struggle, our, our human weakness. Because what we all need, and what we all need, especially in times of difficulty, is we all need what? A greater vision of Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. So again, these believers are going through uncertain times, difficult times. Uh, some of them have, uh, uh, have now started to forsake the assembly. Uh, they're genuinely frightened. They're, they're fearful of their lives. Again, uh, trying to avoid outside contact with people, avoiding um, strangers they don't know. So following Jesus for them is very difficult. And, and who knows, um, perhaps, uh, it may come a time for us here in the States that becoming a follower of Jesus may become very difficult for us. Uh, in fact, that's exactly what the Word says. Paul says in 2 uh, Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus what will be persecuted. Not maybe or might be. It's says will be. He says you can count on it. And that reality is affirmed by the Savior himself, Jesus. He says in John 15.20, Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So I think the book of Hebrews is timely to the original audience, and it's timely for us in a world in which we live. And the writer is encouraging them, the writer is encouraging us to encourage each other to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus Christ, even if or especially if our circumstances are difficult even if our lives are falling apart, especially if our lives are falling apart, even if our lives are being threatened by our association with the person of Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes firmly fixed on the person of Jesus Christ. He is our our champion, our our Lord. He is our friend who cares for us. He's the one who identifies himself with us, and he's the one who has released us from the fear of death. I, mean, I can't go into all of it, but in chapter 2, we will when we get there, but 9 through 16, just a tremendous portion of Scripture it says, "See, uh, we do, But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 14 of that chapter says, Since the children share in flesh and blood he himself took likewise to partake of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For he does not surely doesn't give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham, or he gives help to men is what he's saying. So through the person of Jesus Christ, we've actually been set free from the fear of death. The unregenerate man all around us fears death, and rightly so. Because the unregenerate man knows when he takes his last breath, he'll step into eternity, he'll face judgment. He'll face the wrath of God. But for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is absolutely what? Romans 8.1, there is now therefore what? No condemnation. Right? We need to believe that. There's no condemnation for us there in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ came, took on our humanity. Jesus Christ took on our punishment. Jesus Christ paid the penalty of sin for us. He defeated death. He died that death. He rose from the dead. And the fact that he came out of the tomb is reality. Now, again, Jesus either came out of the tomb or he didn't come out of the tomb. Let's just get to the chase. He either came out of the tomb or he didn't come out of the tomb. And if Jesus Christ really did defeat death, if he really came out of the tomb, and I believe with all my heart that he did do that because that's exactly what the word of God says, therefore we should listen to that reality and the fact that Jesus Christ came out of the tomb, that what? Changes everything. Changes everything. You have to see your life and all the events in your life through that reality. Jesus Christ came out of the tomb. And again, stop and consider, this is really the issue that caused the initial ruckus there, I think, in Rome. They've got the Christians kicked down, the the riots, persecution of Jewish believers. Because the first generation of uh, of Jewish believers put their faith in Christ. They actually believed that this poor carpenter from some backward village uh, in Galilee the one who had been declared a blasphemer by the Jewish religious establishment, who had been executed and crucified as a criminal by Rome, a most despicable form of death, crucifixion. In the mind of the world, they thought he was a, a criminal. In the minds of many of the Jewish people, they thought, because of his death on the cross, they thought in their minds he was a man who was condemned, cursed of God. But unbelievably... The disciples made the fanatical, outlandish claim that he actually defeated death and that he was actually presently alive and he actually is and was the Messiah. He's the Christ. That's the message they proclaimed. That's the message of the church. We don't have another message. They proclaimed that message all the way to their own death because it was true. Because they'd seen him defeat death. They'd seen him with his own, their own eyes. And again, the reality of that truth, that Jesus Christ defeated death, caused the disciples to take the message of the gospel, again, this first generation of Jewish believers place their faith in Christ. They repent. And they start proclaiming that message to their friends, their neighbors, their families. And that causes them to be expelled from their, own, from their own families, from their own Jewish community. And again, as their pressure is increasing upon them, perhaps going can even cause their, their own death at some point. But they considered initially it was worth it because they believed to be true. They believed that Jesus Christ has removed the sting of death. That there's nothing the world can do to us because Jesus Christ has given us everything, even life, after these physical bodies fail. So again, the historical reality that Jesus Christ defeated death changes everything. So that's why the writers are trying to encourage these Hebrew believers, although they're facing increasing persecution, they were not wrong. They were not wrong. They were correct and In their initial assessment of Christ and to follow him. He is the Christ. He is the supreme one. He's the superior one. He, he's the Son of God, our Savior. And again, he's trying to encourage them, trying to encourage us. Uh, keep your hope fixed on Christ. He's our, your, your, Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. He's your help. He, he's your hope. Again, he's the one who stood on your place and, and, and defeated death. And because of that reality, because we are one with Christ, uh, he, he death has no final claim over us because we're in Christ. He came out of the tomb, and we're coming out of the tomb with him. He's the one who's victory over sin and death. He's the one who's promised to never leave us or forsake us. And guess what that means? Go ahead, take a shot. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. I'm not trying to be unkind, but just stop and think of yourself Think of that reality. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. So the next time you start to pray, Lord, be with me, or Lord, be with us, you go, boy, that's theologically incorrect because he's with us always. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. He's the sovereign. He is the, I'm the present one. He's the one who's defeated death and promised that nothing will ever separate us from his love. So when these dear Hebrew believers, some of them enter into the arena, they can either be fearful or frightened, or they can be reminded that Jesus Christ has overcome everything. Jesus Christ is here. He's the one who supports me. He's the one who shed his blood for me. He's the one who shed his blood for us, even if we might face persecution in the the, uh, future. And ultimately, there's no fear of death in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ came out of that tomb. We have to listen to that truth. We have to believe that truth, hear that truth. And again, remember I told you it's not just that Jesus Christ comes and delivers a message, but Jesus Christ is the message. Jesus Christ is the message. His presence in the world shows the world that the world has no hope of reconciling themselves before God or Jesus Christ wouldn't have been here. But Jesus Christ present in the world for us who do believe Tells us that God cares for us. Tonight I'm going to talk about why we believe the Bible and other people don't. And it's tremendous. Why we believe the Bible, it's because of the gift of God's kindness. It's because of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. So you can have confidence in the Word of God because the unbeliever can't understand. The unbeliever can't listen to the Word of God. Can't hear the Word. Can't can't understand it whatsoever. We do. Christ's presence in the world tells us we have tremendous hope. Tells us that God cares for us even in the midst of our trouble, even in the midst of our struggles our trials. God has loved us from eternity. He's loved us in time, and he's promised to love us to the eternal future. So we have tremendous hope. So we just need to listen to this God who speaks. God spoke, right? God spoke. He speaks. We need to listen with Him to him with words that hear and not turn our back upon him ever, but fix our eyes fir- firmly on the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's what the writer is doing here. Fix your eyes on Christ. Now, last time we made it about... Uh, Partway through verse 2, but let's just go back and do a real quick overview just to kind of get some flow here and uh, see if we can make it through verse 3. Uh, again, the Holy Spirit, and writer, uh, Holy Spirit uh, inspired writer. Somebody asked me, could it be a sermon written? Yeah, it's possible. I do think that's a possibility. Okay? But whoever, whatever form it is, it's the Holy Spirit encouraging this writer to encourage these people to keep their focus on Christ. Because he's the superior one. He's the one who's superior to all the Old Testament prophets, to the Old Covenant. He's superior to, he's better than angels, better than Moses, better than Aaron, because he's the great high priest who brings a better sacrifice uh, than Aaron could. And so the preparation for the arrival of Christ is seen in verse 1. It says, God, after he spoke, again, I just hammered the point, but God speaks. He's not silent. He wants to be known, and he's taken the initiative to disclose himself to men. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways. I told you that just simply describes Old Testament revelation. God is speaking to the fathers, the Jewish ancestors. He did it through the prophets, men of God. He, and he spoke in many portions, in many ways. He spoke to Moses from the burning bush, uh, Exodus 3, uh, he, to Elijah in the still small voice, 1 Kings 19, to Isaiah and visions there in the temple, Isaiah 6. Uh, through Hosea and his circumstances and his family, Hosea 1 and etc. Right? So he conveyed the message to a variety of different people, to a variety of different means, uh, visions, dreams, angels, uh, symbols, pillars of fire, fil- uh, uh, pillars of smoke, uh, other means. He revealed his message, many portions, many ways. It's progressive. Uh, it was recorded in the form of history. recorded in the form of psalms, poetry, proverbs. And all these Old Testament prophets, again, men chosen by God, called, filled with the Holy Spirit to speak forth his word, preparing the world, pointing forward to the coming of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. In these last days, right? In, in uh, the last days, I told you, is really the time ever since Messiah showed up, or since Christ came. So, ever since Christ has been incarnate, come to the world, uh, it's these last days, in these last days. Now, God used to speak, which would include the time we're in, God used to speak through the prophets, but now in these last days, he speaks the message to the world, the message of redemption through his son. Now, remember, I told you that if you look real carefully there, you might see that the translators have supplied the word his. Uh, In some of your translations, it is uh, italicized. It shows you it's not there in the original, the English translators. Put it in there to help us understand, have a little bit better flow in the English. But so it really says, in the last days, God has spoken to us in son. Yeah, that's really what it says. And so son, really his son, but son is the vehicle of revelation. Who is son? Well, he's the superior one. He's the preeminent one. He's much better, much more preeminent uh, than any of the prophets. He is God's greatest revelation to mankind. And this is how, in last days, in the last days, this is how God speaks to men. So all people come and say, "Well, you know, come come to my uh, crusade. I just had a great vision last week. Let me tell you all about it. And I took a trip to heaven. You should not even waste your time with that nonsense. God speaks to us in His Son. That's the final revelation uh, 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 of God to mankind. He, he's the complete Word." Everything that God has to say to men, you don't have to go search for it in some kind of uh, esoteric experience. Everything that God has to say to men, he said through his son. He, he doesn't have anything more to say than he's already said in his son. So everything you need to know about God, everything you need to know about, uh, uh, about a relationship with God, a forgiven relationship, and everything you need to know about not facing eternal uh, condemnation is finally and fully seen, revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's son. So, again, Jesus Christ is not only just a better or superior form of revelation than the prophets. He, again, is, listen, he is the final revelation. Now, what did the Father say at the baptism? What did the Father say at the transfiguration? He said what? Listen to him. Listen to the person of Jesus Christ. Well, who is he? The writer's going to tell us. A lot of people have asked that question Uh, throughout history. Some have said Jesus was a good teacher, a religious fanatic. Some have said he's a fake or a fraud. Some kind of political revolutionary. Others have come along and said, "Well, you know, he's really the highest form of humankind. Uh, he achieved a spark of divinity, which he fanned the flame, which most men never achieve." All kinds of ridiculous and fanciful human ideas and human explanations have been given concerning the person of who Jesus Christ is. But again, as I just said a few moments ago, you better get the issue of who Jesus Christ is accurately and correctly. And you can only get that from the Word of God. Who do men say that I am? Right. Uh, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because God has revealed that to you. You only get a proper understanding of the person of Jesus Christ from the Bible. So, and again, unless you understand and recognize and acknowledge exactly who Jesus Christ is, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, the Lord of all lords, the only one, listen, the only one who can save you from your sin, you will die in it. Unless you have a proper understanding of the person of Jesus Christ, you'll die in your sin. So again, the writer here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to tell us exactly who Jesus is. And he lays it out in a kind of sevenfold presentation, sevenfold, uh, seven different points that point to the supremacy and the excellency of the person of Jesus Christ. All together, they declare the fact that he is indeed God, God incarnate, God come in the flesh. So the first thing that the writer does is he speaks to the heirship of uh, of Jesus Christ, H-E-I-R, right? Not a blimp. (laughs) But 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 the fact that he's the heir. He's the inheritor of all things. Verse 2 continues. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son. Here it is, whom he appointed heir of all. Or heir of all things. Now the Jewish people understood that the heir is the rightful inheritor. The rightful owner. Whatever the Father stipulates in his will goes to the Son. And Jesus is the only Son of the Father. Therefore, Jesus is the rightful inheritor of everything that the Father possesses. Everything that belongs to God the Father is passed to the Son who again is one of his own nature one like the nature of the father so here the writer says that Jesus is the heir of everything that belongs to God the father god appointed Jesus heir of all things so he's the rightful heir he, he again has the right to possess everything that belongs to the father because he's begotten of the father that is to say he comes from the father he he bears the same essence in the nature of the father Therefore, he has every right to possess what the Father gives him, what the Father possesses himself. So when the writer says this statement, he says, God the Father appointed Jesus as heir of all things, he's really trying to draw our attention to three aspects of the reality of Jesus Christ. He's trying to show us the character of Christ. He's trying to show us the importance of the appointment to that inheritance and then the the scope of that inheritance. And I'll, I'll work through those real quickly. So again, the declaration here by the writer is that Jesus has been appointed heir of all things, Thanks. that says in my, my Bible that same thing. too. just want to make sure it's saying you are saying he he's appointed him heir of all things. Now that's very similar, different words, but very similar to exactly what Peter said of Jesus on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-six. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that this God that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So again, there is a dignity, there is a a dominion suggested in the behind the phrase uh, the title heir. But also, obviously, you see it in the, who is Jesus? He's the Lord in Christ. That There's dignity, there's dominion. So that the heir of the Father is the Son, the heir of all things. The writer is, look, consciously identifying him again with the Lord, and really the Lord's anointed. That's why I read in part, part why I read in Psalm 2 this morning, because Jesus is the Lord's Son. Psalm 2, a messianic psalm. The psalmist in Psalm 2 says, one day the Christ is going to come. And he's, the, he's going to come and he's going to possess everything that belongs to the Father. He's the heir of all that belongs to the Father. And everything that exists finds only find its true, finds its true meaning only when it comes under the final control of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Psalm 2, verse 6, it says, For as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my, Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, Thou art my son, today I have begotten you. Again, just a reminder: the word "begotten" doesn't mean "born." Doesn't mean that the son has a beginning in time. Doesn't mean he's a created being. The issue is: there's no father without a son. There's no son without a father. So the word "begotten" actually speaks of it's uh, um, genesis. It, it, it means it's just talking about the eternal relationship between the father and the son. The eternal son is one with the eternal father. He is of the same subject uh, substance, the same nature. Uh, very simply, he's very God of very God. Begotten, not created, not made. Begotten, God of very God. The author goes on in Psalm 2 and says, Today I have begotten, uh, thou art my son, today I have begotten you. Uh, ask of me and I will give you the, uh, give you the nations as, I, as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter them with earth and earth. So the son is the heir of all things. Everything belongs to the Father. He's going to pass it on to the Son, the earth, the nations. He, Jesus Christ, is the supreme ruler, the supreme sovereign Lord of all. Again, very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus came and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Same kind of a statement. So this is the position that the Lord Jesus Christ has been appointed to by the Father. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir. So what he's saying, look, is is in the eternal counsels of the Godhead, they predetermined that Jesus would be the possessor of everything, the heir of all things. Again, that speaks to the supreme dignity of the person of, of Jesus Christ. He is the one. He is the one. And he is the one who was handed over or delivered up by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. He was the one who was to be taken by the hands of wicked men and crucified. He is the sovereign Lord. He's the Messiah, the Christ. And again, he's no mere man. He's the sovereign over all, the heir of all. Who's that carpenter who died? Who had his hands and feet nailed to the cross? In fact, he's actually the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one who will rule the world. Satan knew that. Satan knew that reality. That's why he approached Jesus in the wilderness and tempted him to take control of the world in a wrong fashion, in a wrong way, by bowing down to him. He, Satan, the one who's taken temporary usurpership, if I can use that word, of God's rule on this earth. Because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, the false ruler. Satan continues to try every mean he can to try to prevent the heir from receiving his inheritance. One writer says it like this. He says, when Christ first came to the earth, he became poor for our sakes, that we through his poverty might be made rich. He had nothing for himself. He had nowhere to lay his head. Even his clothes were taken from him when he died. He was buried in a borrowed and a grave that belonged to somebody else. But when Christ comes to the earth again, he will come completely and eternally to inherit all things. That's who this person of Jesus Christ is. So again, as to the character of Christ, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's the rightful ruler. He's the owner, the sovereign over the universe. And as to his appointed inheritance, that's what the Godhead has ordained. That Jesus Christ, and again, the eternal counsels of God before time began, before the foundation of the world determined that Jesus Christ is going to be that one whom we send into this world. And then the third point, the scope of the inheritance, it just all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. Everything. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom He appointed heir of all things. Now again, I'll give you an opportunity. You want to take a guess on what all things means. Now just stop and think about it. What do you think all things mean? means everything. Everything that exists ultimately comes under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means everything. Listen to the word of God. It means everything. That means you. That means me. That means all of us. That means all we are, all we own, all of it ultimately belongs to him. Because Jesus Christ is the heir. Jesus Christ is the possessor, the owner of all. You have no right to your own life. We're nothing more than just slaves. Bought with a price. He owns everything. Now you'll note there that there's a past tense verb. Whom he appointed heir of all things. Which means it's already a reality. It's happened already. It already belongs to him. Everything in the heavens. Everything in the earth. Everything in the entire universe. It all belongs to him. The father has placed it all into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore Jesus Christ has authority over all. Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 16, For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him, and here it is, for him. All things have been created by him and for him. It belongs to him. Everything, all of it belongs to him. Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus Christ, again, is the possessor, the ruler, the Lord over all. He's Lord over the nations, as I read out of Psalm 2. He is the king of the world. He is the place of supremacy in the universe. Uh, The Father has exalted him to the highest place of dignity and honor. Now, as amazing as all that is, and it is, Paul says this. Paul says that we, because we have trusted in him as our Lord and Savior, as children of God, Romans 8, verse 17, Paul says we are heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him Paul, Paul doesn't say we're little gods he doesn't say we're little Christ but he does say we're going to be fellow heirs with Christ when we enter into his eternal kingdom we will jointly possess all that he possesses we, we won't be just we won't be joint lords but but we will be joint heirs which really speaks to the marvelous inheritance that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. And the sad truth is many of God's children are only vaguely aware of the rich inheritance they have in the person of Jesus Christ or with the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 1 verse 18 that we should pray for ourselves and pray for each other. Ephesians 1 verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We are rich beyond measure in the person of Jesus Christ. We are united with Christ, joined with Christ, no longer fearful of death because Jesus Christ has come out of the tomb. Jesus Christ, heir of all, and we are joint heirs with him. We share; He shares that inheritance with anyone who repents and places their faith in him. Now, the sad reality is many reject him. Many rejected him in his incarnation. Many reject him still today. But again, and I've said it already a couple of times, but unless you understand exactly who this person is, unless you repent and humble yourself under this person who is the heir of all things, if you reject this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, it will bring you your utter your utter damnation, your eternal condemnation. You will face the, the wrath of a righteous God who rejects his son as the psalmist warned rulers of the earth. You should take heed. You should humble yourself and bow before Christ. In these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, verse, uh, and secondly, because he's the creator, right, through whom he also made the world. Tremendous statement. It's a tremendous statement for a lot of different reasons, but uh, the word uh, is not cosmos that we would think of as the physical world, uh, but it's the word ionis, which literally means the ages. Now, Jesus Christ is the creator of the physical world. Uh, Jean, John chapter 1, verse 3, all things came into being by him and apart from him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. John 1 and 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him. The world didn't know him. I read it earlier out of Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created both in the heavens and earth and all things have been created by him and for him. So again, Jesus Christ is the creator. He's the creator of the entire universe, anything and everything in it. He's the one who makes it. The one who made it. The one who makes it functions, and he did it all without effort. He did it uh, just by speaking. And he created ex nihilo is the word. He just created out of nothing. He just spoke. He said, "Let there be light," and there was what? Light. Christ is the creator. Now, because Christ is the creator, obviously that means he's God, because only God can create. Man doesn't have that kind of power. Man doesn't have the kind of ability to create. So again, that's why the writer here at this moment is going to warn, just in a few moments in the text, he's going to warn uh, these readers not to worship angels. That would be a tremendous error. Don't worship angels when you can worship the creator of the angels. You should worship Jesus Christ. He's the creator of the universe. He's the creator of all things in it. Because he's the creator of all things in it, he's the one who created time, space, and matter. So again, everything is under his ultimate control. Every one of us under his ultimate control. So again, through whom he also made the world. Again, Ionus literally means the ages. That tells you that nothing happens in this world by chance. He's the creator of time. Everything in time. Nothing happens in this world by chance. He's the sovereign. Listen to me. He controls all outcomes. He controls all destinies. He controls everything that happens. So again, the writer is saying here: lottery is Jesus Christ, the the creator of all things physical, including the earth. He's the creator of all things including time, the creator of time, he's the creator of energy, space. He again is the one who determines everything that will transpire on this earth. As the creator of time, he's the one who rules over all of history from one generation to another. He's the one who rules over the direction of history. Because all things, including all things in time, are under his control and rule. Listen out that of uh, Isaiah, God speaking through the, through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 46, verse 9. It says, remember former things long past, for I am God, there's none other. I am God, there's no one like me. Here it is, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So Jesus Christ is the creator of the ages, the creator of time. He's the real one who's responsible for all things that happen. And his perfect will will be established. His perfect will will be accomplished. God, through Christ, will accomplish his good pleasure. He's the one who moves history along from one generation to another. He's the one who's in control over the sovereign uh, affairs of men. Men think pretty highly of themselves. They have all these meetings all over the world and think they're making plans and going to do this, that, whatever. You know, uh, Again, Psalm 2 says, you do well, rulers of the world, judges of the world, you do well to humble yourself before Christ. He's the one who declares the nations and their time of existence. He's the one who controls the affairs of men. Paul described it like this on Mars Hill to the Athenian philosophers, uh, Acts chapter 17 verse 26. He made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. Daniel chapter 2 verse 21. Speaking of God, as he who changes the times and the epochs and removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise men and knowledge to the men of understanding. That means that Jesus Christ is in charge of all things. And again, that means his purpose will be established. He'll accomplish his good pleasure. That means, listen to me, you can go to bed at night and go to sleep. You can rest. God is in control, not you. He's in control. Don't worry. Stop worrying. Don't be anxious. He's in control. Well, who's Jesus Christ? Well, he's God's son, the one who's been appointed the heir of all things, through whom he made the world. Again, the ages, time. There's no such thing as chance. Christ is the controller of all outcomes, creator of the physical universe. If he's the creator of the physical universe, that means he's also the creator of what? Whom? You and me, right? If he made everything, he made us. What does that mean? Well, it means you, your physical characteristics, your height, your body weight, your build, your body build, your hair color, your gender, your temperament, all your gifts and ability—they come from Him. He made you exactly the way He wanted to, you to be made. So any kind of this sense, not, any kind of sense that says, "Well, look, I wish I could be somebody different. I wish I was taller. I wish I was shorter. I wish my nose was longer or shorter, or my hair was this color, or curly or straighter." Right? That's really an indictment against the Creator who created you. <clears throat> Jesus Christ is the Creator. He created you exactly as He wants, His will, His perfect way. I think we sung that this morning. Worship Him. Worship him only. Don't worship angels. It's really amazing when you stop. You probably heard things along these lines before. When you stop and consider the vastness of the universe and the fact that Jesus Christ created everything just by speaking into existence. Scientists tell us that you, it's estimated that you could put 1.2 million earths inside of the sun. And then you'd have room left for three four 4.3 million moons fact is the sun is 865,000 miles in diameter, 93 million miles from the earth. The nearest star, Alpha Centauri, is five times larger than our sun. The moon is only two thousand or 211,463 miles away from the earth, so you could, if you could walk there, the writer says it would take you 27 years. I think it would probably take me a bit longer, but if you're a good walker. A ray of light travels at 186,000 miles per second, On that beam of light, it would take you uh, 1.5 seconds to reach the moon. If you could travel at that speed, it would take you 2 minutes and 18 seconds to reach Venus, 4.5 minutes to reach Mercury, 1 hour and 11 seconds to reach Saturn, and so on. To reach Pluto, which is 2.7 billion miles from the Earth, it would take you nearly 4 hours. Having got that far, we would still be well within our own solar system. The North Star is 400 trillion miles away, that it's still nearby in relation to Uh, Even known space, the star Betelgeuse, is uh, 880 quadrillion miles. What is that? 880 followed by 15 zeros from us. A diameter of 250 million miles, uh, which is uh, greater than our Earth's orbit. I mean, it just goes on and on. Who made it? Oh, I know. Nobody. Nobody. Right? Isn't that what the secular world says? Nobody. Nobody made it. Another writer says, "Let's go the other direction." He says, "Think of the intricacies of the atom. Consider the submicroscopic solar system, if you will, with its quarks and leptons and electrons and neutrinos, all of which have no measurable size. Consider the mysteries of the of human and animal DNA, which modern science only barely understands. It all reflects an amazing design, and the design is often interdependent, meaning that you can't have one part of it without all the other parts dependent and the design of each other part." that work in harmony together? Who made it? Who made the macrocosm, the giant vastness of the universe? Who made the microcosm, the, 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 the complexities, the vast complexities of the microscopic world? Again, the secular world says no one. Just all happened. Product of accident, time, time times chance. We, we just evolved out of some kind of primordial slime and everything else around us. But the Bible says Jesus Christ did. He's the creator of all things. He's the creator of all things. That means us, because we're part of the created universe. That means that we're not here by chance. We're not here by accident. But we're here by the sovereign command of the creator God. Who made this universe and all things in it, including us. And he's the creator of the ages. Again, that means that our destinies, listen to me. Our destinies are in his hands. In time in eternity. Therefore, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? We need to fix our eyes on the person of Jesus Christ and believe exactly who he is. Jesus Christ, at the next point, is the radiator of God's glory, verse 3. He's the radiance of of his glory, of God's glory. Uh, The word radiance means that just shines forth from a source of light. So you look at the moon, it receives its light from the sun. It's a reflector that really reflects the beams, light beams back to the earth. The moon doesn't have any light of itself. It doesn't produce light. The sun produces light. Uh, It's a heavenly body that radiates light. And all that brightness and and power and warmth, the beams are felt on the earth. One writer says this, just as the radiance of the sun is not the sun, just as the warmth of the sun is not the sun, the light of the sun is not the sun, but it comes from the sun. So the attributes of God, the attributes of Christ are, are the emanating realities about God that flow out of his essential being. Because Jesus Christ is none other than God, God a very God, the very radiance of the glory of God. So when we look at Jesus Christ, just like we look at the heavenly sun that radiates light, we look at Jesus Christ and we see the glory of God the Father because he's one with the Father. He emanates the brightness of the glory of the Father, just like the, the sun emanates its sunlight to the earth. And just like the sun is never without its brightness, God is never without or never separated from Christ, the glory of his, his son. He's never separated from the glory of Christ. Christ, although absolutely distinct from the Father, fully God, he emanates the glory of the Father to men. Again, the Father is never without the Son. The Son is never without the Father. Neither one of them can ever be separated from each other. But again, just like the brightness of the Son is not the Son, Christ, absolute deity, fully distinct from the Father. Just like the sun in the physical universe shines forth its brightness. The Lord Jesus Christ emanates the glory of the Father. The radiance of his glory. But Jesus Christ also has his own inherent glory. See that of the transfiguration, right? Uh, The glory of Christ coming. You see it in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. When John falls at his feet as a dead man. When he sees the glory of Christ. And John said uh, of Jesus in John 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ came in John, verse 18. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, sadly, there's a lot of people in the world that can't see the glory of the person of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are what? Perishing. Perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of them, unbelieving, they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. A lot of people can't see. But we can see. Why can we see? Well, verse 6 says, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If we see, it's because of God's mercy. Because of God's kindness revealing himself to us through his Son. Because in these last days, God speaks to us through his Son. Right? So in the last days, God spoke to his, through his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Excuse me, he's the radiance of his glory. Number four, he is the exact representation of his nature. The exact representation of his nature. Uh, representation means the, the word is character in the, in the Greek. So it's the exact, the express image. The word only occurs here in the New Testament. The Greek writer, writers would use this word to describe the emperor's picture uh, on coins. Uh, the express image, you know, was stamped into a coin, struck onto a coin, or put on a seal, perhaps. As he's saying, look, uh, Jesus is, is is an exact duplication of God. Uh, in John verse uh, chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus it says this, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten has who's in the bosom of the Father has explained him, or he's made him known. So humankind didn't know exactly what God looked like until Jesus Christ showed up. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten is in the bosom of the Father. Has it made him known? He's revealed him. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect imprint. The exact representation of the nature uh, of God the Father. Uh, show us the Father, Have I not been with you so long. Right. What, what is your issue? I am the exact representation, the exact reproduction of the Father. Uh, Paul says it like this in Colossians 1 verse 15. Uh, speaking of Christ, he is the image of the invisible God. The word is a, a, a cone we get our English word icon. Precise copy, exact reproduction. Uh, Colossians 2, verse 9, speaking of Christ, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Right? Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. In him all fullness of deity dwells. So again, the the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, look, you need to look at him. You need to understand who he is. Fix your eyes on him. He's no mere man. He's no created being. Don't worship angels. Worship him. In the last days, God the Father has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and whom he made the world. And he's the radiance of his glory. He's the exact representation of his nature, number five. And he's the supreme sustainer. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He, he, he holds it all together. Upholds, supports, maintains all things. And again, it's in the present tense. Meaning that it's a continuous action of, of God. It's really a demonstration, an explanation of the demonstration of the power of God on display. The power of the person of Jesus Christ. The one who spoke all things into existence by the power of his word upholds or maintains or carries along everything to its appointed end. Now, presently, always, all things. That same power that created is the same power that keeps it all together. And again, all things speaks of all things, all things in the universe. All things material, all things immaterial, all things spiritual, all spiritualities, all, all things in the universe <clears throat> and everything that it contains, whether human or angelic, all sustained by his power. So Jesus Christ is the one who co- co- coals it all together, together, and Jesus Christ is the one who carries all things along to its appointed course. Therefore, again, Jesus Christ is the most tremendous power there is in the entire universe, the one with absolute authority, the one with the absolute power, uh, uh, again, the, the one who is supreme, the greatest force in the universe. He holds it all together. Keeps the rotation of the earth at a constant rate. Movement of the planets, the seasons, gravity. The temperature. Men don't control the globe. Men don't control global temperature. Stop listening to that kind of nonsense. Jesus Christ controls everything. You don't have to go in fear, go to bed in fear that the the, the polar caps are going to melt and polar bears are going to be in your backyard. You don't have to do that. Jesus Christ holds all things together, He maintains everything in its delicate balance because that's how He keeps order. And He keeps things in order and keeps things away from chaos. Again, if Jesus Christ took His controlling hands off of His creation for just a moment, it would be utter chaos. If he stopped enforcing the laws of gravity, what would happen? You'd all be flying up to the ceiling. This building wouldn't be here. It'd be flying everywhere. It'd be total chaos. If the moon was just a little bit closer or a little bit further away than it is, the earth would be overrun, devastated by floods. If our sun was any closer or any further away, it would either burn up or freeze up. If the globe was tilted on any other than a 23-degree axis that that provides us the four seasons, if we're not held such at a fixed point, um, rotating as it does, it would be all kinds of vapors that would would mount up and move to the north and south, and there would be monstrous ice uh, continents would form. If the atmosphere didn't remain at the constant density that it is now, (laughs) every two weeks it's like, oh, there's another meteor meteor coming. It's going to destroy the earth. It doesn't destroy the earth. Why? Because God has the the atmosphere of constant density, constant density, and, and all the meteors meteors just harmlessly brush by the planet. Or if they fall, they usually fall harmlessly. Right? It's the person of Jesus Christ. He's in control of that. All of that. He sustains it. He monitors all the inner workings of the planet, all the inner workings of the universe, all the inner workings of our own physical body, the macrocosm, the microcosm. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Again, one writer says this, the universe is a cosmos instead of a chaos, and it's because of Jesus Christ. He ordered a reliable system instead of an erratic, unpredictable model, and again, it's only because of Jesus Christ. Did you know, I decided, to should I put this in or not, but I'm going to put it in, uh, did you know that in just a, over a month, this is really cool for everybody, but it's really cool, I think, if we could, just over a month and a half from now, mark it on your calendar, April 8th, there's going to be a full total uh, solar eclipse. That we'll be able to see here. And what I have read that somewhere around 3 301 or 3 or 2, I don't know, but for a three or four minute period of time, it's going to be completely black. That's cool. How do we know that? Because the world is a cosmos, it's not a chaos. Everything works in unison and order, and men can sit down and figure out this is, the, this is when this is going to happen. And I don't remember what the next one is, 2044 or something like that. But, but it's all in order because of the person of Jesus Christ. He keeps his universe in absolute working precision. Christ upholds all things by the word of his power because everything and all things are under his sovereign control. So what does that mean? It means there's not a single random molecule in the universe. There's not a single random molecule in the entire universe that acts apart from his providential governance and control. There's no such thing as chance. There's no such thing as luck. You go to the doctor and the doctor says you have cancer. You have a radical cell that is affecting and infecting your body. You're going to have to deal with that issue if you're going to deal with it properly theologically. Bad luck, chance, accident. Well, if there are no random molecules, that means there's no random cancer molecules. You're saying, well, Jesus Christ caused you to have." I'm not saying that. I'm saying we live in a fallen world. And the fact that we live in a fallen world, there's one above the fallenness who brings order out of disorder. There's one who brings hope and life because he's defeated death. I'm saying whatever your issue is, whatever your struggle is, you need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. That's what I'm saying. Because he is our only hope. He's our only help. I do know that everything that God does is for our good and for his glory. Therefore, if there are no random molecules in the entire universe, we have to realize, although we may not understand it, we have to realize theologically that everything that comes into our life is from him who has loved us eternally, and him who loves us in time, and he who has promised to love us into the eternal future. I have to live on the word of God, not on my experience, or not on my feelings, or on my emotions, or or whatever. What does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? The word of God says he knows every hair on your head. The, The word of God says every day of our life has been determined by him. He knows it all. Therefore, we should trust him. Fix our eyes on him and trust him. The immense power of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Utterly amazing. He controls all things. He gives great hope to us when we're struggling, whatever the difficulty is that we're struggling with. Because again, we live in a fallen world. But nothing is outside of Christ's ordained concern for us, for his own, whom he loves. Whom he has demonstrated that love by standing in our place, dying as our substitute. Raising from the dead, proving that we're justified by God through the person of Jesus Christ. So again, the writer of the book of Hebrews is encouraging the readers who are struggling with a whole bunch of issues. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't turn away from him. Keep looking at him. He's the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of, power, a word of his power, number six. Uh, he had made purification of sins, or when he made purification of sins, he sat down. He's the sin-bearing substitute. He's the sin-bearing substitute. The Bible says the wage of sin is death. Jesus Christ went to the cross as our substitute, died in our place, died our death for us. Took our penalty that if we would repent place our faith in him, believe upon him, we'd be free from that debt. Free from the eternal condemnation that our sin so richly deserves. So Jesus is the sin-bearing substitute. When he had made purification... Of sin, he sat down. Uh, it's in the it's in the air When he had made purification, it's past completed action. It means that Jesus Christ has did it, has done it. He he's accomplished purification of sin. He's done it once for all, meaning that nothing else needs to be added to it. Nothing else can be done. The writer of the book is going to go into that in great detail in the te- tenth chapter. And, and then he says he sat down. Now again, Jesus Christ did something no one else could do. Only he who knew no sin could be made sin for us, be the sin bearer. On our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ did something no one else could ever do. He's the perfect, sinless, pure Christ. He's the only one who could go and offer himself for us that he might redeem us from our sins and purify him for himself, a people for his own possessions, zealous for good deeds. So when Jesus Christ accomplished what God sent him to accomplish, made purification of sin, he, he did that in reality. He, he, he made Purification of sin, not just possible, but he, but he made it effectual through his death. That, that means that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he didn't make purification of sins for everyone, all and everyone. If he did, that means all and everyone are going to be purified and everyone's going to go to heaven. But what he did, rather, is very specifically, he actually secured purification of sins for all who the Father had given to him. That's what he says in John chapter six thirty eight. All the Father has given to me, I lose none, but I'll raise them up on the last day. Last point. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of all. Jesus Christ, the Lord of, all. Lord of all. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Again, that just speaks of the exaltation of the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who came to this earth, who accomplished everything the Father gave him uh, to do, dies. He makes purification of sins. He's the perfect high priest who offers the perfect sacrifice. That's himself. Again, he, uh, he alone can do it. And he only had to do it one time. Remember when we went through the little intro to the book of Leviticus, all, all of the Old Testament sacrifices, they just kept doing them over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over again, right? It, they were all never sufficient. But Jesus Christ comes and makes a one-time sacrifice, one-time purification of sin, and then he sat down. Remember I told you the high priest never sat down. He was always working, always standing. No chairs in the tabernacle. Because, again, what the high priest or any priest in the Old Testament system could never do is they could never take away sin. Sacrifice after sacrifice never took away sin. But Jesus Christ offers himself once and then he what? He sits down. He offers himself one time for once and forever sacrifice. He finishes his work on the cross. He accomplishes reconciliation, accomplishes propitiation through the shedding of his blood. And he sits down. He dies. He rises from the dead. That means God has accounted his sacrifice as full justification for our sin. He accepts the sacrifice of Christ in full. Nothing else needs to be done. Nothing else can be done. Nothing can be added. He ascends. Jesus Christ ascends after he defeats death. Ascends to heaven. Goes back to heaven. Sits down at the right hand of the Father. That's the place of honor. That's the place of authority and power that belongs to him in relationship to the Father. And the Father has highly exalted him and given Jesus Christ a name that is what? Above every name. Right? That every knee will bow. Every time we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's who Jesus Christ is. The one who's presently reigning ruling over all, over the angelic realm, over all the physical world, over the nations. Made purification of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So again, the writer of the book of Hebrews is encouraging these dear people, although life is difficult, keep your eye firmly fixed on the person of Jesus Christ. Don't turn away from him. Trust him completely. And likewise, that's the same admonition for us. In whatever circumstance or situation we're going through, we need to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Christ. Our Father, we are thankful for that great reality of who you are and who your dear son is and the great hope we have found in the person of Jesus Christ. As I said at the top of the hour, help us to listen clearly to your word to hear the great realities of the hope we have with ears that listen so our hearts might be encouraged by the hope we have in our wonderful Savior, your glorious Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen.